0: You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too.
1: What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. This is a show for the No Sabo kids, the the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth, issues affecting the Latin community, and much more. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community. Listen to Life as a Gringo on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Welcome to Stuff You Missed
4: in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry And I'm Tracy B. Wilson. So
4: Tracy, I'm I'm doing it not on purpose, but it's happening. It's another history mystery. (laughs) Yay! I know we just had one, but often what happens when I'm doing research for a history mystery is that the kind of sites that I will sometimes see in a search result, even though they may not be the ones I go to, We'll be like, oh, look, there are other history mysteries. And then I end up down a rabbit hole. Like, I'll go, I'm just going to click that. It's not for research. I'm just curious. And then I find something else that I want to talk about.
0: Well, and we also we also had not had a history mystery in a long time when we did that one.
4: Right. So unlike the Phaestos disk, which we did not long ago, though, this time it's a maritime history and it's much more recent. Uh, and we're actually just a few years shy of the 100th anniversary of the vanishing of the USS Cyclops. And this is one of those big unexplained mysteries that has plenty of very real and sometimes unbelievable information about it. But it also involves some things that people like to talk about that aren't necessarily rooted in reality. So today we're going to be talking about this ship, the Bermuda Triangle, and some truly unsettling leadership in the process. So we're going to jump right in.
0: As World War I was starting, the United States Navy was in the midst of transitioning all of the ships away from coal burning and into oil. This was because it was becoming increasingly apparent that coal was a problem for combat ships. Having to find coal in other parts of the world and ships to transport that coal to, to the Navy vessels significantly compromised the naval fleet's strength. Eventually, oil would just lead to the same problems.
4: Yes, but from 1900 to 1915, uh, and this is leading up to the war, the Navy commissioned about a dozen colliers to carry coal in an effort to sort of address the problem of fueling their other vessels. They were going to develop their own small fleet of coal-carrying ships. And the USS Cyclops was one of these colliers, and it was uh, similar in build to the USS Hector, the USS Jupiter, the USS Mars, and the USS Vulcan. And a quick note, in case you decide you want to learn about those and Google them, those are ship names that have been used more than one time, so be sure you are looking at the correct one.
0: This whole thing was authorized by Congress in 1908, and it launched on May 7th, 1910.
4: And this ship was one of the largest fuel ships of its time. It was 542 feet long. That's about 165 meters. It was 65 feet, or 20 meters, across, and 36 feet, 9 inches, or about 11 meters at depth of hold. During trial runs, the vessel, loaded with cargo, made 14.61 knots. And it cost $923,000 to build, so almost a million dollars in the early 1900s.
0: The U.S. declared war on Germany and the Central Powers in April 1917. The USS Cyclops was commissioned as a military vessel on May 1, 1917. And in early 1918, Cyclops was being used to transport cargo from the United States to Brazil. On January 9th of 1918, the Cyclops left Norfolk, Virginia,
4: carrying 9,960 tons of coal. And on January 28th, the ship landed at Rio de Janeiro, where it stayed for a little more than two weeks.
0: While in port in Rio, the ship's lieutenant commander, George W. Worley, reported a cracked cylinder in the starboard engine. The damage was reviewed and confirmed, and the recommendation was made that the Cyclops return to the United States to be repaired.
4: Worley was an officer in the U.S. Naval Reserve, as were all of the other officers on the ship. The only regular Navy officer that was on board was the assistant surgeon, Burt J. Asper. Another regular Navy officer, junior grade Lieutenant Frank C. Nigg, was also on the ship, but he was traveling as a passenger. He was not part of the crew.
0: Cyclops departed Rio de Janeiro on February 15th, carrying a full cargo of manganese ore, weighing about 11,000 tons. This was considered really heavy for this particular ship. The ship stopped in Bahia, Brazil, five days later on the 20th. On February 22nd, Cyclops left port at Bahia to return to the United States, headed to Baltimore, Maryland. But the Cyclops wound up making an unscheduled stop in Barbados on March 3rd.
4: And while stopped in Barbados, uh, there was more cargo added to the ship. So the USS Cyclops departed Barbados on March 4th of 1918. And due to the heavy cargo they were carrying, remember, before they got to Barbados, they were carrying more than was really a normal load, uh, and their damaged engine, which they were still nursing along, the ship was reduced to a speed of about 10 knots. So it was only traveling at about 11.5 miles per hour.
0: At this point, no one ever saw or heard from the USS Cyclops again. No distress call ever came. No radio calls from other ships garnered any responses. Nothing. It just sailed away from Barbados and vanished, taking 309 men with it. And just a quick
4: note on that number. Sometimes you'll see it reported lower, sometimes higher, just depending on what, uh, source you're looking at. The earliest reports, I think, said 293 men, but as they did some more record keeping and noted, particularly the, um, the passengers, they were sometimes transporting men back home that had been, that had finished a tour somewhere else. It usually comes out in the, the more modern numbers to about 309. Uh, and it was rumored at one point that another ship, which was a molasses tanker called Amilco, had actually seen the Cyclops off the coast of Virginia on March 9th. But that was denied by the ship's master. And additionally, the spot where the Cyclops was supposed to have been seen in this rumor all the way up by Virginia really would have been impossible for the ship to have made uh, given the slow pace that this collier was traveling.
0: On April 14, 1918, a little more than a month after the Cyclops vanished, the Navy, the Navy notified the next of kin of the men who'd been aboard. The military then went public with the news that hope for those in the ship had been abandoned.
4: The Navy Department's statement read, quote, The USS Cyclops, Navy collier of 19,000 tons displacement, loaded with a cargo of manganese and with a personnel on board of 15 officers and 220 men of the crew and 57 passengers, is overdue at an Atlantic port since March 13th. She last reported at one of the West Indian Islands on March 4th, and since her departure from that port, no trace of her nor any information concerning her has been obtained.
0: After going on to detail the engine problem and the efforts made to reach the ship, The Navy statement concluded with the search for the Cyclops still continues, but the Navy Department feels extremely anxious as to their safety. The New York Times
4: piece that ran the announcement uh, said that it, quote, pointed to the probability that a German raider or submarine has been operating within the last month somewhere between Cuba and the coast of Brazil. But that same article, I feel compelled to point out, also says we don't really have any evidence of this. We just think it's a likely possibility.
0: That same article from 1918 reported that no weather situation in the path of the Cyclops would have indicated any kind of likelihood of a natural disaster being involved in the fate of the steamer.
4: And we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some more theories and investigations. But first, we're going to have a word from one of the great sponsors that keeps our show on the air.
1: Culture, and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Hey, everybody! Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter.
4: So in more modern times uh, around the Cyclops, in 1968, there was a Navy master diver named Dean Hawes who spotted a wreck of massive size about 40 nautical miles northeast of Cape Charles, Virginia, while he was searching for another wreck. Weather cut Hawes' dive short that day. He had surfaced and had planned to go back down with a full crew, but... They couldn't do it uh, because the weather shifted. And that other wreck that they had been searching for, which was uh, apparently a submarine called the Scorpion, was found elsewhere. So additional diving at Cape Charles uh, was not sanctioned by the Navy at that time. Hawes later read an article about the Cyclops and its disappearance. And at that point, he put the pieces together and he believed that the wreckage that he had seen that was not the one they were looking for had, in fact, been the Cyclops, this missing ship.
0: Hawes eventually convinced the Navy to return to his dive site where he thought he had seen this other ship, and they did find the wreckage, but it was not the Cyclops. Hawes was later backed financially by author Clive Cussler to continue his search, and right up until his death in 1983, Hawes believed that he had been at the site of the lost Cyclops, and he continued to seek it, but the Cyclops was not found.
4: And there have, of course, been some rather imaginative theories in some cases and some based in reality about what actually happened to the USS Cyclops. In some theories, Germany is implicated, as we hinted uh, from that New York Times article that came out in 1918. The more common along these lines suggests that German U-boats torpedoed the Collier uh, less common, but it also comes up is the idea that the Lieutenant Commander Worley was, in fact, a German sympathizer
0: and sailed that ship all the way to Europe. Even the possibility of a giant octopus dragging the ship to the ocean floor has been considered by some as a reasonable explanation worthy of discussion.
4: Uh, there are some more mundane explanations, like an unexpected storm that simply hadn't been properly tracked uh, that are sometimes put forth, or that the ship, which was already limping, we already know it had a cracked cylinder in one of the engines, and it was carrying a load both of a weight and type that the crew was unaccustomed to handling, that it may have just simply run into what would otherwise be a minor spot of trouble or mechanical failure, and they just weren't able to compensate because of these other problems.
0: In addition to the mechanical issue that had been reported in port at Rio, the Cyclops had a bunch of other issues. Men who had served aboard it, uh, but weren't actually aboard when it vanished, have described it as a rusted piece of junk with an assortment of structural problems. So it's not as though it was a perfectly pristine and strong ship that just vanished without a a trace. It's entirely possible that the ship hit rough weather and simply came apart at the seams due to all the heavy cargo and all of its ongoing problems uh, before anybody could raise any sort of alarm.
4: And that 1918 New York Times article that we mentioned earlier also reported the possibility that one of the, one or more of the boilers may have blown, which would have just caused the entire ship to explode. Or that German agents placed a bomb in the cargo hold to destroy the manganese because that was headed home to the US to be used in steel manufacture and thus it would have been part of the war effort.
0: And of course there's the Bermuda Triangle. I like how I'm saying all the ones that are ridiculous.
4: Well, but that's the great lead in because uh, we have to talk about the Bermuda Triangle because it is part of the Cyclops story. But it's also a good opportunity to talk about the nonsense of the Bermuda Triangle. (laughs) Uh, It's estimated that as many as 100 airplanes and ships have gone missing in the Bermuda Triangle over the last century or so. This area of ocean off Florida's southeastern tip is alleged to be a dangerous and mysterious place where things and people Vanish without a trace.
0: Reports of unexplained phenomena in the area date all the way back to Columbus's voyages. He wrote about unreliable compass readings in the area and a great flame smashing into the sea, along with strange lights off in the distance. And in
4: 1945, sort of the big famous vanishing in the Bermuda Triangle, uh, five Navy Avenger bombers vanished after they experienced instrument problems and became confused as to their location. Two hours into the flight, which started at Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and then headed due east, the squadron leader became completely disoriented, and land facilities were unable to pinpoint the location of the five planes, even though they were in pretty constant radio contact with them.
0: After flying in circles and running out of fuel, all five planes had to ditch into the water. The Mariner aircraft that was sent in to search for them also vanished and no uh, evidence from either mission was found, but the Navy has always maintained that stormy weather likely destroyed the wreckage.
4: So just like these couple of things we have mentioned, there are all kinds of ghost stories that just could go on and on and on about the famed Bermuda Triangle, which was named by uh, a writer named Vincent Gaddis in a 1964 Argosy magazine article. And don't get us wrong, it really is super fun to speculate on all of the possible paranormal business that's whipping up in the Atlantic Ocean, but it's not really grounded in reality. The U.S. Coast Guard says that, in fact, there is not any more mysterious activity or any more uh, wreck happening here than there is anywhere else on Earth. It's just one of those things that we've been focusing on more all of this time.
0: Maritime insurance companies don't recognize the Bermuda Triangle as particularly hazardous or dangerous. And sometimes instruments just experience failure. Magnetic fields often cited in sensationalist writing about the triangle can indeed affect uh, aircraft and seafaring vessel instruments. But this happens in other places, too.
4: Yeah, we'll uh, point you to an article that talks about that some at the end of the the episode. And there is allegedly a little more of that magnetic tweakage that happens in the Bermuda Triangle. But it's really a matter of data manipulation. Uh, Just in reporting the numbers of lost aircraft and vessels in the area. For one thing, there's no actual physical defining line for the Bermuda Triangle and what's considered inside it versus outside of it. So often that line, those lines expand a little bit here or there to include additional incidents. So the size of the triangle ranges between 500,000 and 1.5 million square miles, depending on what you just what description you're reading. So it's, it's really all in the framing.
0: Even famed Flight 19, which was that mission where all those Navy aircraft disappeared, has additional information that rarely gets mentioned, even though it's completely pertinent. It was a training mission, and ditching those planes in heavy seas was a scenario where the odds were really against survival in the first place.
4: Yeah, it wasn't like these were... They were good pilots. I mean, they were part of a a special detail, but they were training. They weren't super experienced and not in that area. Uh, And then that PBM mariner that was sent to look for the Lost Squadron, this is one of those when people like to tell the story in ghost story style, they go, and then the plane that was sent to find them also vanished. But uh, those mariners were nicknamed flying gas tanks. As rescue planes, they had been designed to stay aloft for up to 24 hours at a time, and that means 24 hours worth of highly flammable fuel. Crew members were often inspected before they got on the plane because they weren't supposed to even carry a match or a lighter because the fumes were so plentiful and dangerous that they could go up in a second.
0: And Argosy Magazine, where the Triangle first got its famous name, was a pulp magazine with the tagline, quote, a magazine of master fiction. It's kind of like getting your news from the onion.
4: (laughs) It really is. And one other thing I wanted to point out is uh, another sort of data set and proportion issue, which is that when people I was reading something just before we came in the studio that was saying, I'm not going to get the numbers exactly right, but this is an example you know, off the coast of New England, say 10 ships were lost in the last 50 years, but in the Bermuda Triangle, 50. And it's like, OK, even if those numbers are correct, they're not indicative of the proportion of of ships that are going through there. Because there is much greater traffic in the area that has been dubbed the Bermuda Triangle than there is in many other areas. It's a very busy place. So just proportionally, you're going to have more. And if you just look at the numbers of 10 versus 50, it looks like it's super dangerous. But if you actually look at it in proportions, and as I was telling my husband about this this morning, the insurance companies don't even recognize the Bermuda Triangle as a real thing. He said, if the money people don't care, it's not real.
0: (laughs) If the actuarial tables do not factor in passage through the Bermuda Triangle, probably don't need to worry about it. Exactly.
4: So we are going to talk about one other possibility about what happened to the USS Cyclops, but first we're going to have another quick break from one of our fantastic
0: sponsors.
1: Culture, and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Hey everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host.
4: So it is also very possible that the Cyclops may have actually fallen into the ocean due to tumult above deck, that there may have been a mutiny in play and one that went poorly. And it may tie back in some small part to the rumors of a German sympathizer.
0: According to reports, Lieutenant Commander Worley was an eccentric man. He would allegedly pace the deck carrying a cane and wearing his hat and his underpants and nothing else.
4: I read that last night and was just uh, giggling with glee at the image of it. As the Navy conducted their investigation into the missing vessel, they queried all ports that the Cyclops had been in along the way of its last journey. And there's an account that was written by U.S. Consul Livingston in Barbados that indicated that there were some pretty serious problems aboard the Collier.
0: The consul wrote that the men referred to Worley as, quote, the damned Dutchman, and that it seemed as though there had perhaps been an attempted mutiny which resulted in several men being shackled in the cargo hold and one executed by the commander. Quote, I have to suggest scrutiny here, wrote Livingston. He hinted that the more likely end of the voyage had been another problem that was rooted in the crew's deep dislike of their commander.
4: And Worley had a checkered history. There were rumors that he was, in fact, German-born and remained a German sympathizer. Uh, one book I read about it said that they did indeed find that, but I wasn't able to corroborate that with source documents. But he certainly was also no stranger to controversy in his career leading up to this point.
0: In a prior command, Worley was brought before a naval board of inquiry after several dozen men of his crew signed a petition accusing him of dereliction of duty in addition to drunkenness and abuse including chasing officers around with a gun.
4: Worley's defense before the board was almost entirely based on the greenness of the men who had signed that petition against him. He felt that they simply did not understand the conditions on a ship, and they did not understand how a ship was run. And he also used this opportunity of his testimony to call his primary accuser a sex maniac and explain that the reason that he had been rough on this particular man, who was ship surgeon Bert Asper, was because... Uh, the man was constantly making lewd remarks about women. And then to go on and defend the accusations of drunkenness, Worley explained that sometimes he simply took sherry for medicinal purposes.
0: Despite all of this, Worley was found innocent. It's exceptionally odd when you consider that this was not his the first time he had been called to trial. While he was running a ship called the Aberenda, the first mate had been found beheaded. While Worley wasn't directly implicated in the murder, it was believed that his brutal leadership tactics had led to an atmosphere of complete chaos and violence.
4: And it's very, very likely that the reason that Worley was actually found innocent after the petition trial was that he was, while problematic, difficult to replace. In terms of his knowledge of the Cyclops and how to run a Collier ship, there weren't a lot of ready people that they could just slide right into that open position. And... Perhaps, for that reason alone, he was once again put in charge of the ship, and that may very well have been what led to its downfall.
0: Even if there was a mutiny, which does seem pretty possible given the circumstances, it doesn't explain what may have happened to the ship itself.
4: So will we ever know what truly happened to the USS Cyclops? Odds are nope. In the words of President Woodrow Wilson at the time, quote, only God and the sea know what happened to the great ship. So that is one of many ships that has gone missing through the years. We've talked about a few. This one is kind of, it, it reads a little bit like a telenovela, particularly once you get to Warley's past and all of the craziness he was involved in. So that's the scoop. Uh, I have a bit of listener mail. It has nothing to do with things vanishing, except sort of. But it also has to do with peanut butter. Uh, And this is from our listener, Kirsten, and she says, Tracy and Holly, thank you for your recent episode on the history of peanut butter. I listened to it on my way home from work yesterday, and you pretty much had me salivating on the train the whole way. One of you mentioned that you have noticed non-stir natural peanut butter showing up on grocery store shelves. I've seen it too, and I've noticed that it usually contains an extra ingredient, palm oil. I'm not sure what the palm oil does to stabilize the peanut butter at a chemical level, but I am a little bit disappointed to see it added to, quote, natural or organic food. Palm oil is technically natural and it can be produced organically, but growing demand for it in the West has had big environmental and social impacts in the developing countries where palm fruit is grown. Cutting down rainforest for palm plantations has resulted in deforestation, contributed to climate change, and drawn many young, poor, and migrant workers into exploitative conditions conscious consumers might think they're getting the best of both worlds when they buy no-stir natural peanut butter, but there may be other impacts to think about. I would recommend always doing your research before you buy to make sure you trust the brand to source their palm oil ethically and sustainably. Palm oil is also linked to something else you mentioned at the top of the episode, the FDA's ban on trans fats. Palm oil has no trans fat and is already used in many processed foods to make them trans fat free. And this trend is likely to accelerate as that ban goes into effect, which in turn is likely to worsen the environmental and labor impacts of the palm oil industry. This is a great illustration of how messy and tangled our global food system has become. Taking a step forward to protect our health can have ripple effects that take environmental and social concerns a step back. Banning trans fats may help keep our arteries clear, but it will need to be coupled with other initiatives in order to ensure the health of the planet and its people. For the peanut butter lovers in your audience, this will probably mean sticking with stirring for the time being. I don't mind sticking with stirring. She says, thank you for sticking with me through that mini rant. I got involved with global food issues through a research project I worked on as part of my master's degree and through some of the work I did with Haitian farmers last summer. Haitians, by the way, make delicious peanut butter, including the kind with hot peppers that you mentioned in the podcast. I think the food system is super interesting and complex and very easy to get fired up about. I would love to see more food history topics on the podcast in the future. Uh, I would love to see more food history topics as well. That's a, a really important thing to point out that uh, everything is kind of connected. And one thing that happens in one place causes uh, there's cause and effect on the entire uh, globe in terms of industry and how we source things. So as she said, uh, you know, if you are a conscientious consumer, you should make sure to double check the sources on where things are coming from and what you are comfortable with. So. Thank you, Kirsten, for that. That was informative and cool. If you would like to write to us, you can do so at historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. We are also at facebook.com slash mistinhistory, on twitter at mistinhistory, we're on pinterest.com slash mistinhistory, uh, com, and at mistinhistory.spreadshirt.com where you can get loads of fun goodies, uh, related to our show. If you would like to learn a little bit more about what we talked about today, you can go to our parent site, How Stuff Works. Do a search for Bermuda Triangle and you will get the article, How the Bermuda Triangle Works. And what I really like is that it includes a more in-depth discussion of magnetic declination, which is often associated with the Bermuda Triangle and used as one of the possible explanations for why things can go awry there. Uh, if you would like to visit us online, you can do so at mistinhistory.com. We have all of our back episodes archived. We also have show notes for any of the episodes in the last couple of years since Tracy and I have been on the podcast and the occasional other goodie. Uh, if you would like to learn about history or almost anything else you can think of on Earth, you should visit our parent site, HowStuffWorks.com, or our site, MissedInHistory.com.
5: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
1: issues affecting the Latin community, and much more. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community. Listen to Life as a Gringo on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford